The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about the week ahead in the economy and the markets. My guests today are Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison, and David Kelly, Chief Global Strategist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. David focuses, as his bio states, on the investment implications of an evolving economic environment. And hopefully he'll be able to tell us today how the U.S. economy is evolving now and what it will mean for markets in the future. Welcome, David and Ben. It's great to have you both on Barron's Live. Glad to be here. Morning, Lord. So, David, this is a big week for the country and the economy, and dare I say, a big week for financial reporters as well. The midterm elections are tomorrow, and the October Consumer Price Index will be released on Thursday. The consensus on the midterms is that the Republicans will win control of the House. With a Democrat in the White House, that means divided government and the markets typically like this. I am not going to ask you to predict the elections, but assuming the consensus is right, do you think the stock market has rallied in the past month because of this presumed outcome? Well, I think the stock market often rallies around elections for one simple reason, which is elections reduce uncertainty. Uh, so, you know, normally when you go into an election, there's a lot of uncertainty as to the result, and then the day after, you can figure out kind of where you are. And we, you know, it's historically markets hate uncertainty. The stock market hates uncertainty. So, just getting past that, I think, helps. Um, I think overall, though, I, I, I think people have realized th- those who watch the market or watch the uh, you know, politics carefully, will have realized that it was very, very hard for the Democrats to hold on to the House. Um, it certainly looks, based on generic polls, um, you know, on the eve of the election, that the Democrats will lose at least the House. And so you do end up with divided government. I, uh, but I think the, you know, the stock market rally itself may be driven a little bit by by other issues um, and also the, you know, the sort of enthusiasm to get this election behind us um, rather than a, you know, particularly, you know, a changing view as to what the election result would be. So where do you see economic policy falling out as a result of, say, a divided government? What are the policy implications? Well, I think it is good. It's good for the, it's good for financial markets. Um, It's not necessarily good for the average American, but um, what what I think it means is this: um, if you end up with divided government, and unfortunately, uh, the focus of Washington, instead of turning to appropriate policy after the election, will simply turn to the 2024 presidential election. That's what everybody's going to be thinking about, as usual. Uh, but because of that, if you've got divided government, there is no way that a Republican House of Representatives is going to cooperate. Uh, with the administration in trying to pass any stimulus package to stimulate the economy ahead of the 2024 election. So what we see is the deficits coming down rather rapidly here uh, as the 
all the fiscal stimulus from the pandemic goes away. Uh, and the economy does look like it's going to be pretty weak next year. But I think the key point is there will be no help from the from uh, the political side of Washington in 2023 or in 2024. And that's going to put more pressure on the Federal Reserve, who are currently tightening policy, to eventually ease policy to try and help out what will be a, a pretty slow-growing economy. I thought they went to Washington to help the people. Apparently not. <laughs> Sorry, Go ahead, Ben. Do you, um, you know, I was reading a, um, something that was making the argument that the debt ceiling might be a bigger issue in this coming year um, because uh, with interest rates higher, um, it, we might hit the the, uh, the level where uh, we might hit that ceiling earlier than we have in past years. Um, are you concerned about the debt ceiling? I'm not particularly concerned about it. I, I mean, I think that the increase in interest costs is obviously an issue, but, uh, but in fact, the, when they originally past the increase in the debt ceiling it was supposed to take you into sometime in 2023. But that was the, under the assumption that uh, President Biden would get a much bigger stimulus package passed last year than eventually he did. Um, and uh, or sorry, earlier on this year than, than he actually did. So because of that, I think we've got a fair amount of room to maneuver. I think you can, you can get into the second half of 2023, maybe even into 2024 before you hit the debt ceiling. But more importantly, I think Republicans have decided, and you could see this in a number of decisions in the last um, year, they've, they've decided that, there, that there's not much point in being too obstructionist when it comes to the debt ceiling or with regard to um, keeping the government open. I think uh, certainly if Mitch McConnell becomes um, Senate Majority Leader again, um, I expect they'll come to some compromise to get these things through. Uh, because otherwise you get a lot of disruption and that, that's going to hurt you politically. So, um, I mean, the debt ceiling itself is a stupid idea. Uh, we should not, um, you know, be operating this doomsday machine. Uh, we should simply, you know, think more carefully about how the, our decisions when we pass laws to um, increase spending or cut taxes. Uh, but I, as a practical matter, I just don't think we're going to see the equivalent of the debt ceiling crisis we saw in 2011. Because remember, we saw a debt ceiling crisis in 2011, and then Barack Obama got reelected in 2012. And I think the Republicans would like to avoid that kind of scenario. It's a very bad look, in other words, mm -hmm. to bring the government to a halt right before Absolutely. the election. So let's talk about the Fed for a moment. As you said, the Fed will be on its own this year. We've got CPI coming out, this, the October CPI, as I mentioned, is coming out later this week. Inflation rose by 8.2% on an annualized basis in September. Core inflation, that's ex-food and energy, was up 0.6%. This is very far from the Fed's 2% inflation rate. So let's talk about your October CPI forecast and your longer-term CPI forecast, and then we'll talk about what it means for the Fed. Okay, so we, we're looking for uh, either six-tenths or seven-tenths of a percent increase in CPI in October, which, as you say, is going to be reported on Thursday. But that would still be 8% year-over-year, down from 8.2% year-over-year. So it is coming down slowly. We, we did see, we think, a bump in energy prices in October, which is probably going to be reversed in November. But it is there in the October numbers, and that's keeping this from coming down more quickly. There's another big issue, though. You talked about the core inflation rate. An increasingly big issue is the whole issue of shelter, because shelter is a third, or it's 32% of overall CPI. 
But most of that, about three quarters of it, is something called owner's equivalent rent, which nobody actually pays. It's an entirely nebulous concept. The problem is that all this lags terribly and is still rising uh, because of higher uh, rents, uh, rents being charged uh, on new leases over the last year. So this we know is going to be adding to inflation over the next year, and that's going to slow the decline in core inflation. As a practical matter, the inflation that people actually pay or or see in terms of food and energy prices, um, in terms of prices of of basic services that people buy, uh, I think think we are going to see a deceleration. Uh, But unfortunately, the the official government measures are going to lag behind that a bit, particularly if you you look at inflation on a year-over-year basis rather than a seasonally adjusted monthly basis. So should we not read as much into them as the numbers might suggest? I, th- I think so. I mean, I th- unfortunately, the Federal Reserve feels like they let inflation out of the bag. And they also feel like they have to sound hawkish on inflation in order to stop long-term interest rates from falling. Because the Federal Reserve is, is trying to slow the economy, and they're succeeding. Uh, but it, but that, they feel that that only works if they can keep long-term interest rates high. And they can only keep long-term interest rates high if people think they're going to continue to raise short-term rates. So I think that's why Chairman Powell was so hawkish in his remarks during the press conference on Wednesday, even though the statement from the Fed seemed to be uh, more moderate. Uh, I think the Fed you know, is going to continue to sound hawkish for, for a while here, even though the reality is inflation has peaked and inflation is coming down. Good words, though. So where do you think the path of rate hikes goes from here? Is well, I, I, I think it's going to be... I think it's going to be a little bit uh, less aggressive than you would think, having listened to Jay Powell um, uh, on Wednesday. So the first thing that I think he said that was really important is that the Fed is thinking about the pace of increases, the ultimate peak of inc- uh, level for, for interest rates and how long they stay at that peak. And he said that right now, the pace of increases has become less important. Now, to me, that is a signal that the Federal Reserve is only going to raise rates 50 basis points in December and not 75. And that could also be a reason for them to raise rates by 25 basis points on February 1st and not 50. So I think they are going to back off on these rate increases. Rates have gone up a lot, uh, but I think they're going to back off on it. But I think they want to to not sound too dovish at this stage. I think they want to sound like they're still going to be tough because, as I say, they're trying to keep long-term rates high for for uh, for the moment until they see some, some better news on inflation. They're really walking a fine line language-wise. They are, and I wish they would. I wish they would calm down a little bit because the truth is, inflation is going to come down. It's not worth putting the economy into recession to 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 more quickly win a battle. You're going to win anyway. I mean, I mean, to, to, I mean, no, nobody likes gas prices at five dollars a gallon. But if you, if the if the issue is whether the the overall inflation rate is three percent at the end of next year versus two and a half percent at the end of next year. That's really not that important. What's important is keeping the economy out of recession. Unfortunately, the Federal Reserve might tip the economy into recession because of their vigilance on inflation you know, at, at this stage. Uh, that was going to be my next question. What is your economic forecast? Well, I think we'll avoid recession for this year because of because of what's going on in the job market. I mean, the 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 organization that actually makes the call on recessions, the National Bureau of Economic Research, does put a fair amount of weight on employment measures. And we've known that you know people have been trying to hire people all year. We've got massive job openings, and so it's going to take a while to work through that stock of job openings. That I think keeps 
positive job growth, that means we don't have a recession in 2022. But by 2023, I mean, all the fiscal stimulus is gone. Uh, you've got these mortgage rates much higher. Uh, you've got the dollar at, at a 40-year high in real terms. And I think you've got a lot of business caution here. I mean, I'm sensing a lot of businesses are saying, look, we've got too much inventory. We're worried there's a recession coming. We're going to have to batten down the hatches. A lot of Americans, most Americans think we're in recession right now, even though by the numbers, we're not. Um, so I think that that general sense of pessimism could induce a certain amount of caution, which does slow the economy down. So I think we're quite vulnerable to recession next year. I don't think it'll be a big one, but I think it's it's really touch and go as to whether we can get through the first half of next year without actually toppling into recession. We seem to be talking ourselves into one, as you say, or as you as you seem to suggest. Well, Yes, and unfortunately, you know, recessions are often triggered by psychology and made worse by psychology. But, the, you know, I do think that the, the lack, you know, the, this huge number of job openings right now and the lack of any excess in terms of the cyclical sectors of the economy, we, we haven't really been building too many houses or, 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 you know, producing too many cars or building too much inventory. So we haven't had, there isn't the sort of excess that normally puts us into recession right now. And that suggests to me, if we have a recession, it should be pretty mild. All right. Very good. Let's turn now to this week's earnings news. We'll bring Ben back into the conversation. Ben, let's start with AMC, the movie theater operator and the mean stock of your. The company is reporting on Tuesday. So as they say in the movie business, give us a preview of coming attractions. Huh. Well, I mean, what's amusing to me Have about AMC. Ben? Oh, can you not hear me? All right. Can, can you hear me? Um, we can. Oh, great. Okay. Dan, are you there? I am here. Um, so AMC is interesting because we all know that it really doesn't matter what the movies are um, for right now, how the business is. Um, they, they're still losing money. They're expected to lose 22 cents. That would be down a smaller loss than a year ago when they lost 27 cents. Um, but, but they are still losing money. Um, and they are expected to have some... Uh, you know, tougher times uh, with the movie business, partially because the film slate this last uh, quarter wasn't very good. Um, you know, there weren't just, uh, you know, after having all those great movies at the beginning of the year uh, that people wanted to go see, including like Top Gun, uh, the, the sequel to that, uh, you just didn't have anything that really pulled people into the uh, into the theaters. I, I think what's more interesting is uh, partially that we've, we've seen AMC stock um, it's given back most of its um, of its meme stock gains. Um, it's down 66% this year. Um, and it's it's really back to where it was trading. If you if you go backwards, you know it's it's not quite back to where it was before the pandemic start started, but it's pretty close. It was uh, already falling then, and it was back to where it was pretty much in October of 2019. Um, and so, like a lot of these meme games um, are dissipating, and people I think are still waiting to see what's next for the company. What is it really going to do from here besides just be a movie stock? And we know that business isn't great. That's for, that's for sure. Um, ben, I'm back on, but I have some echoes. I think I'll let you take over from here. All right. Um, I will try to go on. I mean, the next thing we were going to talk about was um, was Walt Disney. Um, and, you know, Disney makes some of these movies. Um, 
but it's also it's not so much about the movie theater business for Disney, but uh, so much of the focus is on streaming on Disney Plus and Hulu and ESPN Plus. Um, and uh, they're rolling out these advertising supported tiers. Um, and, you know, how much money is that going to make? But these it's been interesting to see how Disney really had this benefit of being both a, um, a uh, COVID lockdown um, stock and also a reopening stock because of the parks, but to see that the, when the market shifted to actually caring about profits, the streaming business kind of became an albatross for it. It was uh, became an issue because they were spending so much money not being profitable with it yet. And I think that uh, that's still going to be an issue. People still want to see are the parks getting back to a closer uh, back to more normal. Um, the uh, the good news for them is that they're actually supposed to grow earnings again. Um, they're supposed to report a profit of fifty five cents versus thirty seven cents, and with the stock down 36% this year, um, it could be that, uh, you know, that's enough uh, of, a, of a drop for the stock to respond uh, decently if there's an earnings beat. Um, okay. And so, Dave, um, let me ask you about earnings season. Um, you know, I was, I was looking at some of the numbers and just, uh, you know, we've had so many companies report. How do you think earnings season has gone so far? Well, it it's it it has I think been somewhat disappointing. I mean, if you look at one of the things we look at every day during earnings season is the number of companies that are surprising analysts, uh, both on earnings and on revenues. And in both cases, this is the weak weakest season that we've seen since the start of the pandemic. So, companies are are running into some headwinds here, and there is a, cer- a certain negative tone on a lot of the uh, analyst calls that they, these companies do. Um, but it, it's, it's been a tough season, and, and you'd, you, you kind of expect that because what's happened over the course of this year is we've seen rising wage costs, uh, we've seen rising interest rates. Um, we haven't yet seen as big a slowdown as I think is coming in terms of nominal revenue growth, but I think that's coming. And then, of course, we've got some higher taxes for companies next year, too. So um, it's, a t- it's been a, one of the more disappointing earnings seasons, I think. Uh, but I don't think we've seen the worst of this yet. Unfortunately, I think early 2023 is going to be quite difficult for companies. In, in the long run, though, you know, I am, uh, you know, if I, from, if I put a corporate hat on, I'm, I'm actually kind of pleased that wage growth isn't stronger given how tight the labor market is. And I do think that, uh, that, that uh, once we get through whatever business cycle we're going through right now, I think margins will remain high. But for right now, uh, we, I think it is, this is a tough earning season. I think we're, it's at the start of a few tough earning seasons here. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, looking at some of the numbers that uh, profits have been actually growing a little bit. But once you take out uh, uh, the energy sector, they're falling. Um, And that's even though um, uh, sales have been growing at, I think, uh, the last number I saw was that they're uh, up 7.7 percent, excluding the energy sector. And so that's that's really just pointing to that margin issue that you mentioned, right, that uh, the sales are growing pretty nicely, but earnings just aren't keeping up. Well, yes, I think that's right. But I think you know, if you want to see a silver lining in it, it is that companies are having a hard time passing on the increase in their input costs. Um, and uh, but at the same time, they are being being somewhat successful in holding down wage growth. So what that tells me is this is not as inflationary an economy as we saw back in the 1970s. So I, you know, I think that while it's a tough time for businesses, the fact that um, they are not passing on all of the, the 
their cost increases and they're able to limit the growth in wage costs. I think both of those tell me that in 2023 we will see sort of underlying inflation outside of the shelter sector uh, or side of things. Uh, I think you will see that underlying inflation drift down over the course of next year. And uh, speaking of next year, um, the, the 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 estimates have been uh, cut a lot more. It seems like um, heading for for next year and for the fourth quarter um, than they typically have, is according to one stat that I've seen. What, what's your estimate for next year's earnings? And uh, do you see any earnings growth at all? No, I think even if the economy avoids a recession, it's going to be pretty hard to grow earnings. I'll be very interested, though, to see in the fourth quarter earnings season how many companies sort of try to anticipate tougher times by taking one-time charges and uh, of various kinds. I mean, very often when you're on the brink of a recession or just entering a recession, companies will try to find any reason to write down their earnings so they got a, they have a lower number to, you know, to, to start with uh, or to surprise on in the following year. So I think the fourth quarter earnings season, which of course, of course will be occurring in, you know, starting in January, um, I think that could be pretty rough. And then next year, it's going to be very hard to provide a year-over-year gain uh, just because of, um, you know, higher wage costs. And of course, we'll see how long the Fed can keep rates high, but that's that will increasingly squeeze businesses. And then just to slow down, and not, both, you know, if inflation comes down and, um Real growth slows down. Both of those things actually hurt revenue growth. So I think 2023 will be a tough year. Uh, but I do think once you get past this in 2024, earnings can start growing again. Hi, Ben. I am back. David, I'm back. So sorry, everyone, for the technical difficulties. No problem. So I wanted to just go back to a couple of companies we were talking about, Ben, in terms of earnings. We're going to hear from DR Horton, the home builder, this week. You've talked a bit about housing. What are we going to learn from Horton about the state of the housing market from here? We're going to hear how much it's slowing. Um, you know, Horton's a great company, um, and um, they, you know, they're going to have, uh, they're going to, they've had a, a really good year. They're supposed to earn five dollars and eight cents a share. That's going to be up from three dollars and seventy cents. But nobody cares about that number. Um, the big issue is that uh, next year is supposed to be. Uh, you know, much worse. And nobody knows uh, um, quite how bad it's going to be. And so I think that's, uh, I, I was looking at uh, Credit Suisse, they're expecting a 27% year over year decline in orders. And it's going to be those kind of numbers that people are really focusing on is just, you know, how much has the, the housing market just ground to a halt and what the impact will be uh, for these companies. Um, you know, T.R. Horton's it had a bad year already, and as uh, most of these uh, home builders have, um, but I still think it's up in the air as whether this is, um, you know, they've, they've fallen enough. Are they going to be down, stuck down here for a while? Um, and we were talking about margins uh, earlier, you know, their, their margin is probably going to uh, decrease by um, around three percentage points is uh, the prediction from Cred Suisse at least. Um, and they, they actually think it could be worse than that. So I think there's just a lot of bad news that still has to be digested in the in the housing market um, before, you know, it, it feels like it's really safe to go back into the sector. So yeah, if, I could just, sorry, if I could just add, if I could add to that, I mean, I, I, I don't know if people realize just how much this whole economy was geared to mortgage rates that started with a three or a four. And now if there's a seven, I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult for, for housing altogether because if you bought a house a few years ago, now you want to sell it. Well, you bought it with a mortgage, you know, 3% or 4% mortgage. You're trying to sell it to somebody who has to take out a 7% mortgage. They can't afford to pay you what you paid for the house. 
and and you don't want to sell then. Um, so I think you're, you're going to see home buying slow down a lot. I think you're going to see people moving around the country coming down a lot. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, are going back to their parents' basements. Um, and it's, I think you will see a very significant slowdown in housing because we're just not geared for mortgage rates that start with a seven after so many years of super low mortgage rates. I'm so glad you said that because I just, you know, I think about it. I look at my own mortgage rate and think like, there's no way I'm moving anytime soon. Um, you know, I don't want to sell my house for what it would take and I don't want to pay that 7% rate. And I don't want my kids living in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, we spent a lot of time today talking about the U.S. economy, but how does the global economy look to you? Well, it, it's pretty soft. I mean, you have to go through this region by region. Of course, the you know one one big issue is China. Uh, so the Chinese economy is growing um, pretty slowly. They announced some pretty weak export numbers yesterday, but I think it's not so much the numbers; it's the realization that trying to maintain a zero COVID policy is very, very difficult. Um, you know, while everybody wants to reduce, you know, illness and death, and that's a very understandable objective. Uh, the problem is that Omicron is so contagious that uh, we're going to continue to see outbreaks of, you know, of COVID and then attempts to, slow, to, to control it, and that is slowing the Chinese economy down. So we'll have to see whether with uh, Xi Jinping having been, uh, you know, now having a new uh, mandate to lead at least five years of the future, into the future and perhaps further, uh, whether he tries to change policy, but without a significant policy change, I think China is slow and will slow further. Um, and it's not just, of course, COVID, it's also housing. And then if you look at Europe and the UK, I think in both cases, maybe people are a little too pessimistic because certainly both Europe and the United Kingdom are, are facing a you know higher energy prices this year, and that is hurting consumers. But governments in those in, in the Eurozone and the UK have done a lot to try to bail consumers out. Um, and so I think the problem is there's just a lot of recession psychology in, in, in that region right now, and growth will be pretty slow. But if you have you know China being very slow, Europe being very slow, then, then net, that really means the global economy is going to be slow. So it's not just us. Everyone's going to be slow. The one thing that I would say, though, for investors is, you know, the U.S. dollar is at a 40-year high in real terms. So, I, you know, I know we've, it's a broken record to say this is a good year to, to invest in international. But I've, I've never in, you know, recent history seen um, a combination of such relatively cheap valuations overseas and such a, an overvalued dollar. So I do think there must be a long-term play for U.S. investors in, in international equities. Interesting, and definitely something we'll come back to on further Barron's lives. Um, I want to go to some listener comments and questions. Lee has a question for you, David. Given your sober outlook for the next several quarters, do you think the market is viable at today's level, or will there be another downward surge? Well, those are actually two separate questions. Um, so, yes, I think the market is viable uh, at these levels. I mean, if you look at Ford PE ratios, they're running at a little bit below their 25-year average. Uh, I realize, as we just talked about, that, that earnings could well fall next year. I think people recognize that for the most part. Uh, but I think when we emerge from this cycle, it should be in an environment of low rates again. And that's really the key. If inflation comes down and the Federal Reserve has to cut rates in 2024 because nobody else is going to help the economy out, 
then you've got a pretty good backdrop for equity. So I think it's viable at these levels. I think these are good prices. Now, could it fall some more? Absolutely, it could fall some more. I mean, it, 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 we're just you know one one more you know one piece of uncertainty away, one one flashpoint around the world, and and the market could take another turn down. But uh, you know, for as an investor, as a long-term investor, I never try and ask are these the best prices I will ever get. I ask are these good prices, and these are good prices. Fair enough. We have another question from, where were we? I'm sorry. Randy, what is the risk of a financial crisis? How long can we keep ignoring the big risks that keep getting worse? Talking about things like debt, deglobalization, east-west conflicts. Can things go really bad? He wants to know. <laughs> could all, you know, there is such a thing oh. as a white swan and not just a, bl a, a black swan. <laughs> um, so, um, so first of all, financial crisis, I think that is very unlikely. I mean, we did see that, of course, 15 years ago, but the banking system was much more leveraged around the world than it is right now. I think, uh, I think not only do commercial banks have much better balance sheets than they had back then, but I also think the central banks are much more aware of the problem and they are both willing to, you know, they've both been sort of stress testing these banks all the way through and they're more proactive if, if a crisis comes up. So of all the things I worry about, that one I worry about the least. Um, on debt, um, it certainly is an issue. I mean, the government debt is a, is a, is a huge issue, but, um, but because the deficit has fallen in the United States, um, the debt is now growing more slowly than the economy. And so the debt to GDP ratio having hit about 100% of GDP is now actually beginning to, to fall and I think will continue to fall through the middle of this decade. So if we could finance government spending or we could finance government debt a few years ago at 100% of GDP with a debt to GDP ratio, I think we can, be, we can do that um, going forward. Geopolitical issues, it's impossible to, to forecast. I mean, unfortunately, the, 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 there are more authoritarians in the world. That is scary. It's particularly scary if you have one leader who goes off as a rocker, as seems to be the case with Vladimir Putin. So, you know, we do worry about that. But so all you can do is stay diversified. That's you, know, you don't. The reason you don't diversify because of the things you can you expect. It's, you diversify because of stuff you don't expect that ends up biting you. And so I think people need to be diversified because something could hit them from one side or another. But recognize that both bonds and stocks are a lot cheaper than they were at the start of this year. So, you know, at the start of this year. We were, we were uh, you know, sort of priced for perfection, and now I think we're sort of discounting disaster. And I think, uh, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the middle is probably the truth. That sounds like a good way to end today's broadcast, something in the middle. Thank you so much, David, and thank you so much, Ben. And apologies to all for our technical difficulties today, but thanks for tuning in and staying with us. Tomorrow thank is you. a lot Tomorrow is election day, and that's the subject of tomorrow's Barron's Live call. Catherine Huggins, politi political reporter at Market Watch, will be speaking with Ben Colton, director of research at Beacon Policy Advisors, about the state of elections, excuse me, about the key state elections, the issues driving voters to the polls, and what the midterms could mean for the economy and the markets. We've heard a bit of that today. There will be more tomorrow. Please vote. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.